morning. It's good to be with you all again, to be able to open up God's Word with you. Um, we'll be looking at Romans chapter 8, which was read earlier. If you have it in your, have your Bible there, your phone, you can open up to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at chapter 8, 12 through 17. 12 through 17. What does it mean to be a sinner in God's eyes? What does it mean to live as a Christian in a broken world where we struggle with the very thing that in a way defines us but is not what we're meant to be? Christians... uh, The good news this morning is that you are no longer a slave to sin. The news for everyone is that God has made them in his own image and loved them with a love beyond anything they could understand or comprehend fully. But sin, when it entered into our world, separated us from God. It's kind of a down note to start on. But as we move through uh, the message, my sermon this morning, I want to start us with the seriousness of sin, the serious nature of sin, what it is, so that we can move from dealing with what it is in our hearts to putting sin to death in the flesh. I have two points for you this morning. My first point is, Live for God. Put your sin to death. My second point is, rejoice in your adoption and heir with Christ. So my first point, put sin to death. I want to define what sin is a little bit more technically, if you're into technical definitions. John Calvin, my best friend, who's been dead for a couple hundred years, uh, <laughs> defines sin, original sin, as a hereditary corruption, a corruption that we receive from our birth and a depravity of our nature extending to all parts of our soul. It makes us obnoxious first to the wrath of God and then produces in us works which in the scripture are termed the works of the flesh. So our very nature, born as humans, separated from God, causes us to well up in rebellion against God and produce works which are called sin, to sin against God, to be at enmity with God, to be separated from God. It's not just um, our actions, but it's in our thoughts as well. Jesus talks about how even if we consider in our hearts anger towards another person, we've as good as killed them in our heart. If we lust after a woman who is not our wife or a man who is not our husband, vice versa, whatever, we have committed the sin of adultery in our hearts. So we see that sin is not just what we do, but it's what we think. As humans, it's kind of what defines us before we remember, by the grace of God, that we were made for communion with God. And sin doesn't just separate us from God, does it? If you're married, you know that for certain. Sin doesn't just separate us from God. It separates us from one another. If you have housemates, you know that's true as well. 
or you had siblings, if you've ever met anyone else in the entire world, you know that's the case. That sin drives us apart from each other. In C.S. Lewis's book, um, what's it called? I'm forgetting. Not Mere Christianity. Uh, no, there's too many C.S. Lewis books. Great Divorce. Yeah, there you go. I should have. I've totally, my mind went totally blank. Uh, C.S. Lewis presents this idea that sin in hell drives people even further and further apart. He has a picture of, uh, in, in the book of, um, I believe it's Napoleon. And Napoleon has moved so far away from everyone else that even as the, the writer, the teller of the story says, he wants spied a peek at Napoleon, away secluded in his own little mansion. And he was the most miserable man he had ever seen. Because no matter how far he went, he could never get far enough away. We know that's true because when we look at the sin of anger in our hearts, we know that when we get angry with one another, we drive a wedge between us and the person we're with. When I get frustrated with Sarah because of my own sinfulness, I drive a wedge between the two of us in our relationship. We see that sin separates us from God and from one another. And it causes us to be destined for hell, separation from God, and exposure to His wrath against sin for all of eternity. And so now that we have a picture of what sin is and its severity, we can move forward into what it means to kill sin in the flesh. This is what Paul is talking about here in Romans 8. He says... uh, Brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul's not promoting works-based righteousness. He is encouraging us instead to throw ourselves in the mercy of God, request our sins be forgiven, and by the blood of Jesus they are, and then to live lives that are pleasing to God, by putting our works of the flesh to death. John Owen, the great Puritan writer, said in his book, The Mortification of Sin, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. There's no neutrality with sin, right? That's what we've kind of already talked about. It's who we are from birth and we must be reconciled to God. In another book of his, uh, John Owen describes Uh, sin as the woods that occupy the human heart, like a forest. And I'm taking this from uh, a lovely uh, snippet of a message I watched um, from uh, Stephen Nichols, I think it is, but I can't quite remember for sure. But he's describing this this image Owen uses. And when we think of woods, we think of a, a lovely forest, right? But try and reverse that image and think of land that is completely unusable, because it's totally covered in trees and underbrush, bushes. Owen says that we must clear the woods of sin so that God can use our hearts for His glory. So, we see that the Christian does not have uh, obligation to sin. And that means for those of us, or those of you here this morning who do not know Jesus, that you do have an obligation to the flesh. You can't help but sin. But, God has invited us into fellowship with Him, invited us into loving communion with Him. And we put our sin away and in exchange receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? 
So as we move to application, this is a very, for me, it's a very application-heavy sermon because this is, this is something that I have dealt with. I have experienced this. And as Christians, you have experienced this. And if you haven't thought about it consciously, I would encourage you, as you go from here this morning, to think about what it means to put sin to death. And so I want to give just a, a brief story from my own life here as an illustration. In my own life, God has shown me that I have an incredible capability for bitterness. A few years ago, I worked in a different job in a different place. It doesn't matter where. And I had a manager I did not get along with. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that before. We tried to work it out. We tried to build bridges. Every time I tried to build a bridge, he'd burn it down. Whenever he did the same thing, I'd do it back. I didn't want anything to do with him. He didn't want anything to do with me. We were angry at each other almost constantly. It was sinful anger. It was not righteous anger. Even when I left that job and I moved to other ones, I found myself looking back on it and being upset, being angry. And so I began to pray to God. I said, God, please... Help me let go of my anger. Let me release that anger. Let me make peace with this person in my heart. And you might think, okay, well, that's, that's the end of the illustration. But it's, but it's not. Because even as I prayed that, and you know yourselves, you know your own hearts. This may be what you're, what you're like. It may just be me, but I don't think it's just me. I said I let go of my frustration, but I didn't. It was a lie. I lied to myself and I lied to God when I asked him to take it away because deep in my heart, I wanted to keep it. I wanted to stay mad. I wanted to be frustrated. And that frustration settled into bitterness in my heart. It was like a rock in my chest. Anytime this guy would come up in conversation, I would get a little upset. If I saw him, I was terrified that something was going to happen. There'd be some sort of altercation, some frustration, some fighting, shouting match or something. And after months of dealing with this, I came to recognize that I had lied to God earlier, as I mentioned. And I prayed, I wept for what felt like an eternity, praying over and over again. God, I don't want this anymore. God, I don't want this anymore. Because this sin is so deep in my heart that I know it is affecting not just my wife or my family, but it is affecting my relationship with you. That I love you, God, and I am your child, but I am struggling to let this go. Take it from me, please. Take this sin from me. Help me kill it. Help me put it behind me because it is driving me away from others. And more importantly, God, it is driving me away from you. And that day, God released me from that bitterness. He released me from the power of sin. When Jesus died on the cross, when I placed my faith in Christ, I was released from the power of sin. But I was not living like that was the truth for me or the truth for every other Christian brother and sister that we have on this earth. So then, how do we put sin to death? What do we do? What is the application here? The first thing here, if you're, if you're 
taking notes for applying this, putting sin to death, is the first thing is recognize sin for what it is. Recognize sin for what it is. We cannot fight what we do not know. We cannot fight what we do not recognize. Once we know what we struggle with, we can prepare ourselves to fight against it. Not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit. This means that we can make intentional decisions and take intentional steps to avoid being in a position where we're likely to fall into sin. We're consciously directing our steps away from sin. John Owen said that, uh, know that he that dares to dally with occasions of sin will dare to sin. If you're willing, to put it in modern terms, to flirt with sin, you're willing to sin. If you're willing to take that step, you're willing to go all the way. That's how dangerous sin is. That's how beguiling it is. That's how it pulls us in. It's our flesh. We're at war with our flesh. Our hearts are new, but we're at war with our flesh. And the flesh will take any occasion. The devil will take the foothold if you give it to him. And he will take it for his own advantage to put you down. The second thing you can do is cry out to God. Cry out to God. By prying, crying out to God for the help of the Spirit to fight in our sin, we grow closer to our Lord and Savior. We grow closer in our prayer to Him. When we ask Him to help us fight, when we ask the Spirit to give us strength, we repent of our sins. We pray, Spirit, help me. Spirit, I don't want to be overwhelmed with worry about what tomorrow will bring. Help me trust you today. Help me put my worry, my anxiety to death because it causes me to not trust you, Lord. God, help me. Spirit, help me throw away my addiction to whatever it is you're addicted to. And don't pretend like it's not you if you're hearing this this morning and I'm not saying the words you're thinking I'm saying, but I am saying it. There are kids here, so I don't want to use the word. You know the word I'm talking about. Probably. Lord, help me throw away my addiction to whatever it is that I'm addicted to because I should find my satisfaction and happiness only in you. Only in you. Spirit, help me put my desire to be in control of situations to death and help me give all things into your good, sovereign care. These are life-giving words. Putting sin to death gives us life because it drives us into communion with God. The third thing you can do is examine yourself. Examine yourself. Examine your heart. When we fall to sin, we recognize it, we repent of it, and now we reckon, we reckon with it. We reckon with it. Reckoning with your sin means that we examine our hearts and we ask tough questions. Tough questions that are not fun questions to ask. We, ask, we can ask ourselves these kinds of questions. They're not, you don't have to use these questions, but they're helpful guides. Why did I sin in this way? Why did I sin in this way? What did I hope to gain from my sin? that I do not already have in abundance in Jesus Christ? What did I hope to gain from my sin that I do not already have in abundance 
in Jesus Christ. And then these questions become more pointed as we think about it. And these, these applications are largely drawn from John Owen's work on the mortification of sin. To ask ourselves, do I have Christ? Do I truly know him? If I'm willing to flirt with sin, what does that say about my relationship to the Lord? It's not to drive us into, into questioning our salvation, but to reaffirm our conviction that we do know the Lord Jesus. No, God, I did fall. I did fail. But you love me, and I love you. You are my greatest good. You are my highest affection. There is none better than you, God. Give me more of you and help me put this away. And the last question is, do I hate my sin? When we recognize what sin is, when we see what it does to our hearts and to other people around us, to our relationship with God, does it drive us to hate sin? Because it ought to. It ought to. We seek the grace of God and remember that in Christ we have the assurance of the forgiveness of sins. And this empowers us to go boldly before the throne of grace and ask for the strength to fight. Ask for the strength to win because the victory has already been won by the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's right. Thank you. This brings me to my second point here. Where does our assurance come from then if we know in our flesh we are at war with sin? We feel like we cannot win. Our assurance here comes from our adoption, of the adoption of God. That's my second point. Rejoice in your adoption. The fight with sin drives us to rejoice in our adoption by God. Every Christian here this morning can say with confidence, God is their father, that Jesus is their brother, and the Holy Spirit is their helper and comforter. Those are facts for you this morning as a Christian. That's good news. That's the best news. This should inspire us to live lives of praise and to respond in praise. That God has delivered us from a spirit of fear. In Romans 8 here, Paul says this language, uses the language of spirit of fear. That spirit of fear is the fear of death because of sin. The fear of the judgment of God because of sin. That we were objects of wrath before we know Christ. But we've been set free from that through Jesus. You, if you are here this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus, can be set free from sin, free from the fear of death. Because in Christ, there is no fear of death. In Christ, the worst thing anyone could ever do to you is kill you. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but it's true. Because when you pass from this life into the next, who is waiting for you? but the Savior who gave His own body for you. The Savior who was nailed to a cross for your sins and mine was raised on the third day and ascended and is at the right hand of the Father where He ever lives to intercede for those who love Him. That's what Paul goes on to say in Romans 8. We'll get there in two weeks' time. I want to talk about that because it's just incredible, incredible comfort. So rejoice in your adoption. God has delivered me from my sin, yet I still struggle with it. If you are here and you do not know Christ, you can be delivered too. Throw yourself on the mercy of God 
because he has offered an adoption to us through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit that is unlike any other adoption. It is the truest form of adoption. It is the purest form of love that we often say that blood is thicker than water, but through Jesus Christ, the blood that is shed for you is far better, is far thicker than your relationship to your mother or your father, your relationship to your brothers and your sisters. Because through the sacrifice of Christ, a family is created among complete strangers that will last for all of eternity. You were created, as I said, for relationship with God. And our adoption in Christ not only makes us part of God's family, but it makes us heirs with Christ, that we receive all that Christ receives, that we gain when we die, and in a shadow now on earth, all of the things that God has. And he will abundantly give us more and do more than we can ask or imagine. Where we will go even from this life into a place where there's no more weeping, gnashing of teeth, there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow, there's no more separation from one another or from Christ, from God. We receive the righteousness of Jesus as heirs of God and receive adoption as sons. We have such confidence in this adoption, Paul says, that we can call God Abba, Father. As I said this a few weeks ago at Crossway when we were, we were doing a study through parts of the book of Romans, and I was like, I've got to preach on this stuff because it's really lighting my soul on fire and excitement and joy for God. And I remember because a few, a few weeks ago, Zora, my daughter, who's back there, uh, we picked her up in the morning. We were getting her ready, and we were just kind of hanging out with her. And she looked at me, and she said, Abda. Like, she looked at me and said, you know, Abba. Like, but didn't say Abba. She said, Abda. So not quite the same. <laughs> but it still felt pretty good. <laughs> but that kind of dependence, that love that I have for my daughter, that she has for me, that confidence that no matter what happens to me, I will always be Zora's father. I will always love her. That is the relationship that we have to God. That's the confidence that we have in our adoption as children of God that we could say in the, the, the <laughs> as children looking up and saying, Dada, you know, Abda, whatever, whatever it is that we're saying. I know it's Abda, it doesn't really roll off the tongue, but that's, we take what we get. We take what we get when they're babies. <laughs> I want you to know this morning that as a Christian, the Lord has done everything necessary to secure your eternal joy, your eternal peace, your eternal happiness because of what Jesus has done for you, because of what the Spirit is doing in your life. Your salvation is assured. You are God's own child. There is no doubt that you are a Christian. It doesn't mean if you're struggling with that, it doesn't mean that you aren't. But it means that we need to encourage you with the truth that you are a child of God. We are a child of God. So we are motivated then in application 
to praise God, to thank God, to live for God, to put our sin to death for the glory of God, and to live our lives here even to the point of suffering and dying for our faith if that should be necessary because Christ has died for us. And when Angela was praying this morning, she was talking about our brothers and sisters who have been arrested in Iran. Our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in Manipur, in India, who are under threat of constant violence because of extremism. Their suffering is an affirmation of their salvation. Even the small ways that you may find yourself excluded or marginalized because of your faith in Christ is an affirmation of your salvation. It is a mark of joy that we should be counted worthy to suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as I close, I want to invite you to meditate as a Christian on how sweet your relationship with God is. That He is the true Father. The greatest Father. There's none greater. None better than Him. That through Jesus Christ, you can be set free from the fear of death and the bondage of sin and put sin to death in the flesh for the glory of God. I want you to ask the Spirit, Christian, this morning to revive your joy in Jesus Christ. Revive your joy in the adoption that God has secured for you. And that we should go out from here preaching and singing and and saying to one another, it is good, it is good that God has done this for us. That we should preach the gospel to our friends and our neighbors and to ourselves. This motivates us to evangelism. This motivates us to evangelism because what is better than this relationship with God? What is better than this? Nothing is better than this. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be together this morning and this afternoon to sing your praises, to worship you through the reading of your word, to pray to you, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to come before the throne of grace with confidence and boldness because of what Jesus Christ has done. Lord, give us the courage to live for you even when it is difficult. Give us the courage to put our sin to death even when it makes us look crazy to the world. That we would do whatever is necessary, Lord. God, bless us as we go from here. Give us the courage to share the great news that we have received. Amen.